0: Hey guys, Jack here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Just one quick announcement, a reminder that our next live coaching event is this December 9th and 10th in the New York City area. Participants will come and play in a streamed cash game and get commentary from the Just Hands team. Uh, There'll be several different coaching packages available to get additional feedback on how you're playing. Uh, For more information on all of these packages and how to sign up, please head to justhandspoker.com slash event, or use the link in the show notes. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in, and enjoy this week's episode.
1: Good afternoon, Jack.
0: Hey, Zach. How you doing?
1: Doing well. How are things with you?
0: Things are good. Things are good. You know, everything's going smoothly. You're settled into Jordan. I think this is our first recording since you got there.
1: I believe it is, yeah. You know, still still getting settled, but the apartment, you know, I'm, I feel very settled here now and s- about to start an intensive Arabic course next week. And yeah, it's, it's been exciting.
0: Nice. Uh, and why don't you give our guest this week an introduction?
1: So uh, this week we have the pleasure of getting a Cleveland or Cleveland area native on the podcast. Uh, you may also know him as BCM11 from Poker Stars and Full Tilt. Live and online crusher Brendan Murphy, how are you doing today, man?
2: I'm good. How are you guys doing?
1: Doing
0: great. Thanks for coming on.
2: You're no problem.
0: Uh, so let's jump yeah, into it.
1: It sounded like you had a pretty fun hand uh, with your buddy.
2: Yeah. Um, just uh, to give you a quick backstory, uh, the player the hand in questions against is probably like my closest friend in poker. Um, you know, we've like played online sessions together. We talk about poker a ton. You know, he's a great player, so. Definitely made for a really unique spot. Um, I'll just get right into the hand. So, this was uh, 2 5 at the Jack Casino. I have Queen Jack offsuit in the low jack, and I opened to 20. Only my friend Brian calls out of the big blind. I think that's Oh, stupid. this
1: is Brian. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I've played yeah. with Brian a um, fair amount.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I same. Maybe in like a tougher lineup, you can consider folding Queen Jack offsuit in the low jack, but I think in two five games you should be trying to be active and get it, and i think it's not so
0: yeah i don't think you're getting three-bit like so much yeah exactly.
1: uh, so, yeah uh, i think
2: this, this was the uh-huh. line, pretty typical like just a lot of like type players not creative um a few regs and then just you know a few weaker recreational players so um i saw no reason to do anything but just open here
1: um but, what was it nine-handed uh yeah it was nine-handed and how deep were you with with most players, or how much was in your stack? Brian and I were about twelve hundred effective in um, the mm-hmm. stack. Varied,
2: you know. Some people had less, but I mean, this is about a month ago. Um,
1: but yeah, Brian and I were about twelve hundred deep. Let, let's just talk about the preflop a little bit because because I think it's it's to me it's not a very clear open without the stack depths. So like I think if you're five hundred deep from the low jack, I yeah. think I would definitely be folding this hand. But the fact that you're, you know, 1,200 deep, not necessarily with Brian, but, you know, deeper with some of the other players, and you're going to have, you know, uh, a skill advantage definitely makes it an open, and it would be hand I'm opening for that stack depth. But I, th- I think if you're, you know, again, the the cap change, so for those of you that aren't former or current, you know, 2-5 regulars at the jack, I, it's 300 to 1,000 now, but it used to be to 500. And So if you're in a 500-cap game, and even if it's like a soft lineup in the low jack, I, I think I'm just folding... You know, Queen Jack offsuit. Like, I definitely want to be opening wide there, but I think I'm yeah. just you're gonna gonna, gonna, gonna be of- picking candidates that are suited and yeah. I understand. Um, you're
2: gonna get a lot more awkward spots from the shallow. So,
0: well, I, I like the open, but I, I guess I just don't see it the same way. Like, I don't see Queen Jack offsuit benefiting a ton from deeper stacks, and I think you're slightly more likely to get called by someone in position than someone out of position. I mean, obviously, the big blind might be the most likely to call, but. Uh, you have three players in position left, two out of position. So I don't I don't see the deeper stacks being a huge benefit here, just to throw in that counterpoint. But I like the open.
2: Yeah, and I mean, also, just p- people do play their hands pretty face up, you know, in these games. Like, no one's three betting you light. So you're really not going to have to worry too much about getting into too many tough spots. So, you know, again, I'm just going to look to be active in like a weaker lineup as much as I can. As right. As I can, so. Anyways, yeah, he defends. It comes Jack-5-2, Rainbow. Uh, he checks. Uh, I decided to check back, and I think this is close between either checking or just making a s- small flop bet. Um, I think in hindsight, I think I would have preferred a small bet. Um, I don't know. Your guys' thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think this can go either way. I yeah, it's like...
2: Not, it's not a, a three-street hand, as is, but um, um, maybe about check bet might be better than. Uh, but again, I was just thinking we can check back, call a lot of turns. You know, we can get two streets
0: still, so... I like checking some king-jack and queen-jack. I'm not as big of a fan of checking ace-jack, since I think the ace yeah. is really good for your checking range, so... Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. But, I, yeah, some queen-jack and king-jack I like, because when the ace comes, I don't think you have to bluff-catch the turn and the river that often, uh, yeah. which is really nice, so... Yeah, I, I wouldn't check all your queen-jack, but I think against a, a good player like Brian, like checking some queen-jack and betting some queen-jack is right. And you said it's a rainbow flop?
2: Yeah. Yeah, against maybe more of just a run-of-the-mill opponent, I might just bet where I'm not going to have to worry about getting put in any kind of difficult spots. Um, but, yeah, against him, I decided just to go for a check. But, again, I thought it was cool, and I, I still think
1: Yeah, and, and, and f- for, for the listeners, I, I think you know it's just worth noting that kind of the deeper you are, I think the the more this becomes becomes a check because you know queen queen jack if while you're not happy putting putting your stack in against a player that's capable of you know bluffing and being aggressive it like when you're 100 big blinds steep like that's going to happen with a hand like queen jack where mm-hmm. if you bet queen jack on the flop like you, you you're not going to want to get your stack in when you're whatever you are a uh, 240 big blind steep all
2: right. It's just like, what are you hoping to accomplish by betting the flop with Queen-Jack there? And if you think you can get value from a lot of worse, then go for it. But it seemed like a spot where he's going to have a lot of cards just between a five and a Jack, and I'm going to try to look to get value on later streets was basically my thinking.
1: Yep. I, the one, one other thing I would throw in is against a good player like this, I, I think there is some merit to betting a really wide range here on kind of a disconnected board maybe betting something around like between one third and one quarter pot. Yeah. And then I would definitely include kind of all your jacks in that range. But then I would I would okay. definitely, if I'm betting that, I would be, you know, calling a flop check raise, calling most turn bets.
2: Yeah, and then, yeah, evaluating from there. So, I mean, it's a little bit more high variance that way, I guess. But, yeah, it was, it was like, again, it was definitely, a, I think, a pretty close spot between betting and checking. I don't think um, you could go wrong either way early in that spot. But uh, I did, did decide to check. Uh, turns a queen which offsuit queen so there's no potential flush draws on board so obviously we now have a monster hand uh jack five two queen and he bets a hundred into 40 which is obviously really interesting and against his sides i just don't think we should have a raising range because he's basically saying i have a really good hand so us raising here is doesn't really make a whole lot of sense i think you guys probably agree with that so i just call you guys any thoughts on that
0: yeah, you said 120 into 40?
2: Uh, 100 into 40.
0: Yeah, so still a similar bet. I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't raise.
2: I, mean, I think he's got a lot of bluffs here because um, obviously he doesn't have queen-queen, doesn't have jack-jack. I mean, I guess he could have a hand like 5-5, but even that just seems a little weird, right, to take that line?
1: I, I don't know. I think if he's betting 100 on the turn, if he's not putting 5-5 in that range, then I think like you could pretty easily exploit him by just calling with a lot of middling value hands.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, the, you know, so we, 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 discuss like this kind of stuff a lot. Like when we're like playing online together. And I mean, it's pretty obvious. We both say things like well, when we are over betting, on uh, spots, we just want to make sure that our decision's really easy when you face a race. I mean, that obviously makes sense. Right. So I know here that he's, really polar to um, some kind of value. I'm not exactly sure what would be in that value. I guess it would just be like 5-5, deuce, deuce, maybe the same hand, maybe, I don't know. And then um, like a lot of like gut shots, I would say that he's not like really upset if somehow he gets raised in this spot, like say hand like king 9, whatever, uh, ace 10, things like that.
1: Do you think he's calling 15 with like queen 5 suited pre-flop? An additional fifteen.
2: I opened at twenty. Uh, maybe 20, yeah. More, uh, probably not. I would say.
1: No. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that a good player player would, but just to kind of make the He's range really breakdown pretty simple.
2: Break and uh, you know things like yeah. that. So I don't. I don't think that he would be defined as much as if it was like a time game or something like that.
0: Yeah. So I. I think there are some players where. This could be a raise where maybe some players are unlikely to play a set this way and might play other two-pair and draws that have reasonable equity, like a 4-3 suited, like a ten nine. And against a player like that, if you could identify that, you know, obviously we should be raising. But I think what we've identified here is that it's unlikely— If, I
2: can just, if we raise here, we're just going to, like, really tighten him to, like— uh like, all of his value. And I don't know how good we do against his value with two pairs. Right. I mean, it sounds good,
0: but. It sounds like his worst value would be a chop.
2: Yeah, so it didn't seem like raising would accomplish a whole lot.
0: Yeah, definitely not.
2: But, I mean, I'm pretty happily calling, although it is unique. You know, you're not seeing 2.5x uh, overbats very often in live games.
0: Yes. <laughs> you yeah, would so. have probably, I mean, yeah, never mind.
2: Um, you know, I, I tank for about a minute and then I just call, um, and then go into the river. The river is a ten, and he goes all in for about a
1: thousand. Yeah, I mean, oh man, my first instinct is definitely call here, because you know, like I, I we said he has gut shots in his range on the turn, so yeah. he do, he doesn't have ace king in his range because he's always three betting that hand. So right. he's but basically saying, yeah, sorry.
2: Uh, but I'll also say that we don't have Ace King um when he overbets the turn. I think uh against like a normal side he'll end the turn with Ace King. But um he doesn't have to worry about a hand like Ace King. And if he has yeah, a hand he, he, like, he has
1: he all the nuts in his good. range. He, yeah. Yeah, he has all combos of the nuts and we don't. Well not all combos. I mean I, I think you know, if he's calling an additional fifteen out of position against you when you're deep, uh he's only gonna have the pseudo combos of ace eight nine. And so eight he nuts. has yeah. Oh yeah, and King and King nine, so he can value bet. So that's that's eight eight combos of hands versus definitely way more combos that are, you know, bluffing. So I,
2: what, you also I, mean, have I guess to, you have to ask yourself: Will he always just go all in uh, here for two hundred blinds uh, with all those hands as a bluff? Because I mean, yeah. in theory, of course, they do, but in live poker, I just uh, I do see people in these spots show up with value more, more times than not when they do overbet. Um, of so course,
1: but this isn't anyone good. at Live Poker. This is like your friend that is totally yeah. capable of bluffing in this spot, right? Right, of course.
0: So, I guess one thing that's concerning is you. Uh, you mentioned that you think Brian is likely to overbet with on the turn with a range that would be probably either comfortable going with it or yes. just folding yeah, to a raise. He's not
2: doing it with a hand like I honestly don't think he ever has a hand like Queen Five where. He would be in a really disgusting spot if we get if he gets raised, or um even I don't think he would do it with like a hand as good as like King can. it's just like a good draw, yeah you know, draw I think that or, you know we discuss overbetting strategy a lot, like just playing uh online six max and it's it's that's like our basic our strategy that we come up with is to just be really polarized in those spots, so that way you're not facing any tough decisions if you do happen to get raised,
0: yeah, now, a hand like. Eight nine, on the other hand, seems like a pretty good hand to put in an overbet bluffing range, since you know you're not like folding away very much equity uh, if you ever get raised.
2: Exactly. So
0: that's concerning.
2: Um, And I also don't think that uh, he ever has worse value uh, on this river when he goes all in. I think we can agree on that, right? It's never. Like he never has. Yeah, to. he doesn't. He doesn't and, have worse value on the turn. No sense. Queen five makes no sense now at this point. Honestly, I don't even know if he would do this with a hand like five five. I mean, he might, but again, that'd be pretty thin. I think given the sizings.
0: Yeah, because you'll have jacks. You'll have. You I could he have queens. Jacking, when I check I'm
2: checking back jack jack for sure, and he knows that. So. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think yeah. you would bet queen, queen, but.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so. I just don't think he would do that with five five. I mean, just from my history with him, but like I said, the the value that I was concerned about was all the gut shots that came in, like uh, in a weird way, it almost would be better to have like a hand that would block some of his straights rather than just the two pair, since I don't think he's ever doing this with like, you know, like I said, other like value like sets or worse two pair or anything, so just like having no removal in this spot, I thought was also kind of concerning.
1: Yeah, I mean, if if you think that Brian is betting a roughly balanced range, or even if it's skewed towards value, then I think queen-jack is actually a pretty clear fold. Like, I'd much rather call with king-queen or, like, trying to think, based on preflop, what other hands with removal we can have. But you know what I mean? Those hands are going to be much better bluff catchers, and given the size of the bet relative to the pot, like, we don't need to bluff catch that often. My initial reaction in terms of calling is just that, I don't know, know, Well, then not necessarily the, the top of our range, uh, but just in kind of an exploit that I feel like I personally make against like other players. Like I, I wouldn't necessarily I wouldn't do this against like you know you, especially not after this podcast. Or I wouldn't do it against Jack, but against like winning uh, seeming professionals. Uh, when I'm over betting, I'm, I'm usually very much unbalanced towards like bluffs, assuming there's like no history. Again, that's a big kind of caveat, and I kind of just I guess I kind of put that into into Brian basically being like he has all the you know the nuts in his range and you have none of it. So might be a good spot to overbluff.
2: Okay. So like when you what kind of hands do you think that he'll show up with then you think he'll have a hand like ten nine type hands that are, we're beating or what are the hands that you would expect to see then if he is bluffing in this spot?
0: Maybe more like
1: ten eight. Uh
2: weaker weaker draws.
1: Yeah ace ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah ten ten eight, ten nine, ace ten, four three Suited. I'd actually. He. I mean, he probably honestly, folds for a three um, suited pre-flop. Yeah.
2: I think four three suited or like six four suited or hands like that. Um, he would just either be through bet bluffing pre-flop or he'd be folding. I don't yep. think. Yeah. Yeah. Pre. So I wasn't worried about the low gut shots, but like I said, all the, like I said, that was like really like a bad river. I thought. Um, yeah. It's sort given of. My read on him.
0: It's a really shitty river because it's like. Half Basically, the bluffs got like, there, and the other the other half the bluffs like got their combos cut.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, you don't have to defend that much. Like you're already defending jacks. I guess you're probably defending other slow played sets. I don't know if you have any king queen here. I think you might bet almost. Or I would just think you would bet a lot of it on the flop.
2: Yeah, I would think so. Uh, trial, yeah, it's probably better as a bet.
0: Check. Yeah, I think Jack Nine probably gets a bet on the flop too. Maybe not all of it, but like, I'm not. I'm not ready also to say that like, Jack Nine is a better or even Queen Nine is a better bluff catcher than Queen Jack. Like, it's it's slightly better, but you could be trapping with some of the value range, even though we've said that's unlikely. Brian, I I could say I could see Brian thinking that Queen Jack is a better value combo to hold here than fives if he thinks you're always going to bet like fives and deuces on the flop and check back jacks then he'd rather block the jack
1: yeah I just, I just think it's unrealistic that you know even if he does think like queen jack is the nuts or you know close enough that he can bet i, I just don't think it really makes sense to use
2: this, this sizing for it right there'd have to be yeah. some kind of like ridiculous leveling going on with somebody in history where you've been over bluffing them a lot where you can i think shove two pair here for value
1: we we agree he he only has straights for value here right yeah okay
2: he's only betting his weak draws on the turn so like i said i really do think that's was like one of the worst river cards uh you've got given my read on him and what i think that he's over bluffing with on the turn if he is bluffing mm-hmm. which i was expecting him to have which i was expecting him to be doing when i have top two pair in this spot
0: so i think we're circling around basically saying this is a fold which I'm totally fine it with it. Yeah. I did end
2: up holding. Um, he wouldn't tell me what he had, which is fine. I mean, <laughs> I've, asked, I've asked probably about a dozen people on this hand, and it's basically been this kind of conversation. Like, at first people are like, oh, well, you got a call. Then, like, you kind of break it down a little bit, and it's it's just such a unique spot. And then, like I said, I just I think all of his gut shots are what he's bluffing with on the turn when that card obviously comes in and completes a lot of it.
0: Yeah. I was gonna ask you like about like the nature of I think the nature of your friendship also like plays a role here. Like right. uh is like one, is there any do you think desire to like get one over on you? Or is it mostly sure. like he wants Thanks. to like play like a really great strategy, like a really great balance strategy that like or that's what he would potentially brag about after the fact. Or would you or would he never reveal the hand anyway?
2: Uh, I just asked him about it that night. He didn't. He said he didn't want to say. and then I haven't brought up to him again since then. Um, okay. Yeah. But, I mean, like, it was just, you know, a regular 2-5 game, you know, like, nothing crazy happening. I don't really think that when he was sitting there, he was just thinking, like, okay, I need to figure out some elaborate bluff I can pull on Brendan here, uh, you know. So, like I said, it was a really gross spot. Bothered me for a while about the hand, uh, just folding. I mean, I did end up folding this hand, and it felt pretty gross. But like I said, I just think in live poker, people here just are very heavily weighted towards value in these spots um, when they do jam rivers And this, you know, I don't know. Won't happen again very often, obviously, either. But uh, in this spot, that was a decision I came up with. So,
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I, and I think even if he's not, you know, even if you're not exploiting him, like I think this is a fold, you know, yeah. like in in a ba- in a balance over betting range like queen jack is not going to be one of our bluff catchers. I I guess part of what's, what my interaction call to is me thinking about like okay, what what happens if jack jams here? Because I I feel like, you know, while we're both trying to play a great strategy against one another, mm-hmm. I think there's definitely been times when, you know, one of us kind of wants to get the better of each other. And I think both of us are also used to like being unbalanced towards bluffs in these spots against other good players. So I think, like, if anything, like, the the call would be to, like, exploit someone from bluffing too much. But without, like, you know, pretty specific information in history to make that read, I think it's a fold.
2: Yeah, and, and another thing is just uh, from his perspective, when he overbets the turn and I call, um, um, in his shoes, do you think that he would be concerned that I'm just trapping with something really strong and I'm not going to fold the river?
1: But, but for the reasons we talked about, that's not a concern because on the river you have no straights and he has all the straights.
2: Right. And he's going to we- know that you know that. Do you think that he ever just thinks that I have something strong, strong enough to call two point five x pot on the turn? And I'm just gonna, I'm just not gonna fold.
0: No, no, not necessarily.
2: So, like, you think that he might actually think I'm capable of folding a hand this strong, or do you, maybe he doesn't even think I have something this good?
1: I think that's more of a question for you. Like it, the the way you introduced him, it's like he's like yeah. your best friend that like you play a lot of poker with together. So like, you know if you're having this conversation with us and breaking down the hand this way, like he at minimum should know you're capable of thinking about hands this way. Right. Like, yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, just like that, adding that in made it, you know, a difficult leveling spot on like, what do I think that he thinks? Um, but again, I just tried to break the hand down uh, a little bit more technically. And that's why I just decided that his bluffs on the turn are the gut shots and, um, that's why on that river I decided to fold. And there was obviously a lot of rivers I'm just not folding on. Um, So.
0: Yeah. And he needs to have almost as many bluffs as uh, hands that beat you for this call to be profitable since it's such a huge overbid.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But it was a fun spot. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) 99% of the hands at two five are just so monotonous and, you know, Typical. So to get a hand like this, at least, was fun that there was something interesting going
0: on. Yeah. Well. Yeah, if Zach. Zach, if you had done this to me, I, I would have floated it with Ace King on the turn. So. Yeah, you know.
2: <laughs> really.
0: Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <coughs> Come, on, man. I Come on. I would have considered. I mean, I would. I actually don't think it's like.
2: Yeah, Because you're still beating. Yeah,
0: it's. I the think part. it's a pretty reasonable actually hand to float. But I think pretty Zach is capable. Part. The thing is, against Zach, I don't know if it's the right place. I think Zach is. Capable of like going for super thin value with like king queen in that spot. Oh really? Well, I'm not. Against I'm not going to use that I'm not
1: going to use that thing jack. Not on the river. No,
0: no, no, not on the, on the turn. I'm talking about.
1: Oh yeah, oh, but I'm like so, to float you on the, on the to float turn. you on the turn with yeah. ace
0: king. Like I'm one. I guess like assuming that I'm beating your bluffs now. But I guess it doesn't matter then. Yeah. If I because I guess yeah. if I turn a king then or river a king, I'm just folding anyway improved
1: this actually this is interesting because kind of you just saying that offhand comment i think i think ace king's actually a really good call brendan you know because you're going to you're going to be checking it's back that on. hand
2: you're beating all of the bluffs yeah he uh, mainly has like i do think in these spots um, like it, not a lot of people are over betting but i do find in the turn a lot a lot of times over bets in these spots where he doesn't have a whole lot of value is weighted a lot more towards bluffs um, that just isn't good enough to check call with, or to lead small with, so yeah. draws, people choose these hands with.
0: The thing is, the, the only problem with, I mean, Ace Queen, ace King sounds great, like, because we're beating all the bluffs on the turn, probably. The problem is, one, we block King 9, which we've, you know, said is
2: yeah
0: against a lot of players, blocking King 10's not a good thing here, I guess. Uh, I think against Brian, it's, it's more irrelevant. But, the other thing is that like, if you know, if we think Brandon has, or sorry, you're Brandon. If we think Brian has ten eight here and then jam the river, like I guess I'm saying, like Queen Jack has, I think slightly better equity. Ace King obviously has better implied odds, but Queen Jack can pick off a bluff that, like yeah uh, on like a King River. You know,
2: if you're playing against somebody that's gonna that's gonna jam as a bluff a lot on the river, then yeah, you'd rather have the value of the queen jack. But a lot of times I do see people in these spot over turns and then shut down thinking, all right, well he called an over Yeah. Uh, you know, like I took a shot trying to get him to fold. And if he's calling an over I'm just going to give up here.
0: Yeah. And then in that spot, the implied odds might be worth it. And I think we're also a little clouded cause we, we realize in this spot against Brian, like a 10 is just like such a great implied odd spot for us. Yeah. Like we're, we're getting probably a thousand like anytime the 10 comes. Yeah. All right. Well, any, anyone, any, any final comments on this hand? I think like most weeks we've, we've, uh-huh. we've covered what brand there is.
2: Yeah. Like I said, I, I don't think this is a spot that'll come up again anytime soon, but it was definitely a fun hand worth uh, discussing. I definitely wanted to get your guys thoughts on it. So uh, I do appreciate you guys having me on.
0: Oh, we appreciate you coming on with such an interesting 2-5 spot. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, do you have time for to stick around for a few questions?
2: Uh, yeah, sure.
0: So you're still in Cleveland, right? Uh, yeah. I'm curious how you like uh, being in a small room with a really small 2-5 player pool and playing with like the same group roughly again and again since that's an experience I've been having recently and I've come to really enjoy it both in terms of the atmosphere and the poker opportunities, but I'm curious uh, how that's been for you.
2: Um, I do like it, but um, I don't like the infrequency of uh, the game running. You're kind of like, you just get the mercy of having to check Bravo a lot, see when the game might go. um, And then knowing that the game could be breaking at any time. Um, So there's some pros and cons, but I do enjoy it like playing with a lot of the same people and you can get reads on people um I think my edge on players increases over time, so that's good. But I don't really think it's ideal just because the game doesn't run, you know, more than a few days a week really for more than a few hours. So um yeah, there's pros and cons to it.
0: Yeah. Having lived there for a while. I can attest to that. It can be very frustrating. Uh yeah. do you play PLO too?
2: Uh, not really. Honestly, um, there's been times where I've like wanted to learn PLO. Sometimes I'll play like low stakes PLO online. Um, and just for whatever reason, I've just never really enjoyed like nine handed PLO. I just, especially when the game's not deep. Um, it's just really not been something that appeals to me. Although, I mean, I know people play it and they love it and I see why it's, uh, why it's a more popular game for like recreational players, why they enjoy it. So then I see why there's more action in it. And things like that but uh like I just feel like nine-handed PLO when it's when it's shallow isn't really that interesting of a game
1: yeah definitely not but the good thing about the Cleveland game is it often gets super super deep so if you were to like learn learn PLO I don't think it would take you very long to be have like a significantly higher win rate in that game than even a decent 2-5 lineup with a lot more variance but uh I mean that was my experience at least like I Personally I think I've definitely I think I've run above expectation in like all of my no limit, you know, career and yeah. definitely run below on my PLO. So like my results mm-hmm. don't match for it, but in terms of like what I would estimate yeah, what I'd estimate my EV and win rate is, which is difficult, but you know, I think I do a decent job of after about like three months of like primarily studying PLO, then you know, after like a month or so of playing it a few times a week, I felt like my win rate was higher you know, most of the time when playing PLO and then after a month or two of that, the vast majority of the time, but you're at the mercy of the game because it's really all about playing the main game. Because for me, it's like the main game is great because there's a lot of regs and a lot of them are like, you know, pretty tight. But when you're deep, like that's great, you know, like a lot of these guys and I'm gonna, you know, they'll remain nameless, but it's, they're solidly winning players at PLO, like probably making 30, 40 an hour, just playing like incredibly straightforward maybe even making more you know but like those type of players that like i'm i'm more than happy to play two three four hundred five hundred big ones deep with
2: right they're just not gonna get into any marginal spots where they have to stack off light i imagine
1: yeah i mean definitely with some of them like after i started playing a lot and you know you know likely bluffing significantly more on later streets than like they were used to like i definitely got called down light a few times but you know i Overall, people aren't going to really be adjusting enough to, you know, thinking about what hands are, like, good candidates for, like, bluff catching on later streets. They're just thinking, like, do I have the nuts or do I have, like, the best possible combo draw? And if not, like, I'm going to fold to a large bet.
2: Yeah, it makes sense.
1: Yeah, PLO is definitely... nice how often uh
2: that game is just always running, too. So, I mean, um, you can kind of choose your own schedule a lot easier if you're, like, playing live PLO as opposed to live No Limit in Cleveland.
1: Well, exactly. Yeah. Because that was the experience I was having because two, five used to run a lot more regularly. Like I, I wasn't 21 when the casino first opened, but I'm sure you remember. And what I've heard is it was just like ridiculous two, five and even some good five ten pretty often in the first six months of the casino. But, yeah. you know, and by the time I started, there was regular two, five, most days of the week, you know, two to four tables on the weekends. But then, you know, I, I, I'm out of Ohio for a summer. I come back and, you know, now it's like kind of similar to what it is now where it's, you know, every weekend, but just some weeknights and usually not even good on the weeknights. So then yeah. that's when I was like, OK, I really, you know, I got to start learning PLO now.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. It might have been, uh, I think it was around 2014, they actually raised the buy-in for two five to $2,000. And that was kind of like a big boom for the no limit. And I think it kind of just, I don't know if that killed the player pool so much or just a lot of the players went to PLO. But um, yeah, back then there was like multiple games running all the time and it was it was definitely a different time than what it's like now there. So.
0: So Brendan, are you taking a lot of poker trips these days and are they mostly for live poker or online or tournaments or cash uh, or all the above?
2: Um, I'll try to do like a few trips a year and uh, do like a combination of cash games and tournaments. Like um, last few years I've gone down to South Florida for about a month every winter you know they have good cash on there, and they have great uh, tournament series. I really enjoy uh, actually playing live tournaments now. Uh, something I used to not really like. I just think they're they're soft, they're fun, you know. And uh, there's huge player uh, prize pools in those. So um, the majority of my play is online still, but I do like to mix in uh, a few trips a year just to kind of break up the monotony of the grind. So
0: also getting out of Cleveland to go to South Florida during the winter. There's something we yeah, said for that too it's
2: uh it's like a no brainer basically I don't, Have you guys gone down there and played much yet or no
0: yeah i've uh I have some family down there. I've played a good amount uh in South Florida, probably like maybe twenty twenty five sessions or so in my life so not like it, it's not like I've spent a month at a time there but yeah uh, a, a good amount of poker
2: at the aisle or at the hard rock or where did you play?
0: My favorite places to play are at the aisle or at the Palm beach kennel club.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, I was a little bit more North, so it's, it was kind of a trek to get down to the hard rock. And I just, I think, I also think I just ran bad in terms of like when I would go to the hard rock, like it would just sort of suck.
1: And Jack, I've been with you for all or most of these sessions. And yeah, like everyone talks about the hard rock being amazing. Like, I think I've probably played five to eight. No, I've been there before actually without, it. so I probably played like seven to nine sessions there. And there was only one time when it was like a good game. And that time it was an absolutely ridiculous game. And I played like for 12 hours, but besides that, it's always been like pretty reg heavy and like not, not great.
2: Yeah. I've been underwhelmed with the hard rock uh, compared to the aisle for sure. Uh, as far as like five ten goes.
0: Yeah. The aisles um, awesome. The Isles freaking awesome. I like the <laughs> style that the game is yeah.
2: just- earlier. Um, i'm definitely like unique in this aspect that i like i like being on like a reasonable schedule like not being nocturnal so um you know being able to like play 5 10 from like 10 a.m till like 4 p.m and then just be done for the day i really i really enjoyed that so
1: hey man i'm with you i'm definitely i'm a morning person where the main things that i do are not morning activities
2: yeah absolutely it's kind of funny
1: jack on the other hand yeah I'm- is 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 a night owl that does two night owl activities, so it works out for you.
2: I mean, I understand the games are a lot softer at night. It's like a trade off for me at this point, but um, yeah, if you want to play the best games, you have you should be playing late night. So it yeah, makes sense.
0: yeah, my energy increases throughout the day. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why. I haven't been able to get to sleep before like five the last few nights. It's been horrible. Oh, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, not so intensely. Is this
1: okay? Yeah. Doing the podcast at the crack of two?
0: At the crack? Yeah, yeah. I've been up for a couple hours. Yeah, it's been fine. <laughs>
1: okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I keep I keep getting woken up. Uh, I keep making this mistake of leaving my window slightly ajar, and I'm really close to this mosque. So, uh, I'm getting I woke up at 4:45 today. Couldn't really get back to sleep. So, <laughs> definitely not more energy now than earlier in the day. Yeah, understandable.
2: And are you guys still both playing a lot of poker now these days or are you guys getting like into other things?
0: I'm definitely playing less poker these days. I'm in New York city now. And so Mm -hmm. it's not like there's, I mean, there's plenty of poker, but most of the games I'm playing like start and end at a specific time. So -hmm. like I have a few weekly sessions just kind of scheduled. And so that's what I play. Like I know when I'm going to be playing. And so it, it definitely amounts to less, uh, although the games have been very good to me. Uh, but yeah, I, Zach and I both are also musicians and do other things as well. So yeah, I would say I, I'm playing less poker now than I was when I was living in Cleveland, and especially a lot less than when Zach and I were taking this long trip a few months ago.
1: Yeah, d- during, during the trip and then my trip kind of just extended. I didn't really have a home from like January until the end of August of this year. And I was playing a lot of poker throughout that entire time, but now that I'm, you know, living in a Muslim country where gambling is like much more illegal, <laughs> um, I, I haven't played since I've gotten here, and I'm gonna, you know, no, no comment on if any gambling is going to happen in the future. <laughs> yeah, I think that's <laughs> wise. Yeah, but. You know, I'm. I'm I, I just kind of a few days confirmed I'll be coming back in December, uh, for my cousin's wedding and doing you know some live events with Jack. So my two weeks back in the states, I imagine I'll be playing a lot of poker. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely miss it. I, I've I've kind of seen people playing like backgammon, like probably not for money, but a few times it looked like it was for money. And backgammon's really popular here, and just like seeing kind of some guys play, a lot of smoking, like kind of felt table, like, in the back of a cafe really made me want to just kind of yeah. do some type of gambling, yes. you know. For 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 you, Brendan, like, you know, obviously, like, you, you've you been, well, I, I don't know, for, for the listeners, like, how long have you been playing poker as, like, you know, your primary source of income or as, like, your profession for?
2: Well, I was uh, at school at the University of Akron, um, and I left, dropped out uh, my junior year, and that was, like, back in 2006 now, so been a while been uh, about 11 years doing it so
1: yeah wow it's impressive yeah that's
2: that,
1: that's a long time and i i was going to ask like how long does it take of not playing any poker for you to like get that itch to want to go go play
2: yeah only a few days and then i'll be like feeling like i'm not productive and want to go play somewhere yeah so never really had too long of breaks outside of like some vacations and things like that here and there
1: yeah, and how do you balance kind of live play versus online play?
2: Um, well, like right now, I'm mainly just playing online. I just don't think that um, it's really that ideal of a place right now in Cleveland with how things are. I'll try to play like, just a couple times a week um, just to change it up. But for the most part, I'm mainly just focused on playing online right now. Games have been good on Ignition, So um, for now, I'm just going to try to capitalize on that. Who knows how long they'll stay how they're
0: So, Brandon, have you, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's like a lot of factors, many of which are personal that, I mean, please don't divulge them, but have you considered moving somewhere else to play more live poker?
2: Uh, Yeah, it's definitely something I've considered. Um, I guess I've just never really pulled the trigger on it, but yeah, it's definitely something I've considered many times and I still do think it over.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Time comes. I've got some friends in a bunch of different places that I plan on visiting this winter, and kind of just see what games are like there and how I enjoy being there, and just kind of go from there.
0: Yeah, I would say you could consider buying property in South Florida, but with the uh impending Hurricane yes. Irma, I would say yeah, wait and evaluate on that.
2: Yeah, I have uh, a friend that um, was like a two five and five ten player in Cleveland and he moved to Philadelphia a few years back and he's done uh, like extraordinarily well there. He plays all the biggest games there and in Atlantic city now. So, um, you know, definitely, definitely being here. I do feel like it, it holds me back some, but for now it's just kind of what I've like doing, like being home, like being around family and friends. So I guess it's like a trade-off.
1: Yeah, and if if you learn PLO, you could kind of have it all because, you know, as you know, I'm sure you know the other kind of Cleveland regs that do a lot of PLO and they seem to do very well. You know, there's some people that go down to Cincinnati where the action is amazing in the casinos as well as home games. And then there's, you know, great PLO action in Detroit and Toledo and home games there. And, you know, Ohio, I think for many years has been like, you know, one of the best places to kind of play live cash, assuming you're playing kind of a, you know, Two five often with a ten dollars straddle plus uh, cash.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I feel like uh, if you if you play online, like it's really important to be a specialist. Like find a format that you're really good at and like kind of master it and just bang that out. But I feel like if you play live poker, it's kind of the opposite. You want to be able to play whatever the best game in the room is. And uh, it's kind of funny how that's different.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, and in the states now, I mean, it's it's still like primarily going to be PLO or no limit. But I imagine that. Over the next kind of like five ten years, it's probably going to change and be like a much higher percentage of other games. Uh, I think PLO will probably grow in terms of market share, but I, I definitely see Hold'em going going down, not going away, and never not being a, a maybe even the most played game, but just a lot more kind of other games, especially at the higher stakes.
2: Yeah, I I, I think the problem is um, maybe like six six seven years ago. Um, there'd be like just a couple regs in a no limit like two five or five ten game, and be a lot of recreational players. So then, obviously, like the recreational players are gonna be winning more than uh, than they are now. where it's seven or eight pros, and the recreational players they're just never gonna really win. And in PLO, obviously, you can get your money in bad, and it's really not that bad. You're still gonna be like what thirty five percent a lot of the time, or forty percent or whatever. So recreational players have a lot better chance. So I see why the game is a lot more popular. Yeah, you know the variance can can really make anybody win in a short term, whereas in no limit, you know, it seems like brags just have a much better chance of beating uh, the recreational players.
1: Yeah, especially when it's deep. Like, I, I think if you're like a a pretty actiony player that plays a lot of hands, and you're sitting like 200 big blinds deep with a bunch of other good players, and like an you know seven, eight, nine handed no limit table, like you, if you play like four to six hour sessions, I think it's just going to be pretty rare, like definitely sub 25% of the time that you walk away a winner, you know?
2: Yeah. Whereas in PLO, obviously it's a lot different.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, in PLO, you're like super, super happy to get your money in as a 65% favorite.
2: Yeah. I'm sure you guys have seen people in PLO, like run $200 stacks up to two or 3000 many times that like, aren't very good or aren't really playing that well.
0: Yeah. And then it, <laughs> it all.
2: <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, they, so that's gives them the fun of playing it. I make, it makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, almost every player that plays PLO regularly has a story like that or even bigger, you know? And it's like the same, you know, the the whole yeah. gambling psychology thing. It's like you remember that and then yeah. you keep playing. Yeah. Exactly.
0: I'm just thinking the last time you and I played PLO in Cleveland and there were those two huge marks who would run it up
1: and oh we're my just God. like gambling with
0: each other every hand and then they exchanged numbers to like meet privately to
1: like play again. <laughs> uh, I know. That, that, that just was, doesn't happen at really No great. limit. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, these were so this was like one guy who, well, I'm not I'm not going to say. We'll his give nickname, loose descriptions. Yeah. Uh, he, he he had a he, let's a just say he had a older gentleman
0: with a much younger.
1: Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, yeah, that's the the other the the any any Cleveland rag knows the kind of, you know, older gentleman that is dubiously from Canada that often has young women with him, Brendan, right? This rings a bell.
2: <laughs> okay. Oh, um, and
1: then, and then and then we have another player who has a nickname um, that you know indicates that he uh, you know definitely likes action. And then we have another player who's kind of new and out of town, and they're just you know they all bought in for whatever I think like five hundred, and within a couple hours, like everyone has just like over three k. Two of them have over five k. And, you know, like that's, that was definitely an, a pretty exceptional night, but it's not like it's that, that hard for that to happen when those three people come where like, if they all sit down at no limit, like they probably going to stop playing after a little bit if they're not winning, you know? Yeah. Where with PLO, it's like, even if, if they drop like four from another buy-ins in like an hour and a half, like they're not going to stop there where at no limit, it could be pretty, yeah. pretty debilitating to like, get it in with like, you know, zero to 15 to 20% equity repeatedly, you know?
2: Yeah. And also just the fact that they can just get away with playing, I mean, what, you can play like 80% of hands in PLO, it seems like some people feel like. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be profitable to do that, but you can obviously play with more hands in PLO than you can in a limit and at least, you know, have a chance.
1: There's a lot of players that, like, once they're, like, running hot and, like, running up a stack, yeah. that they just, like, don't really have a folding range pre-flop, you know? Yeah, they just
2: you know? flip in because they might hit yeah. something,
1: yeah. Yeah, and then they just begrudgingly call like that. You know, there's a lot of players that just like, I would say a majority of players at like the one two five game in Cleveland will like limp more than fifty percent of hands.
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, I've only played it a few times uh, in the last couple months, but I've seen that, and, it's, and it makes me almost feel like I'm playing too tight or something because I try to not.
0: Well, be I think the-
2: so crazy when it comes to that, and it makes it almost like boring for me because you know hands take a while, and if you're just playing what seems like optimally you're just like watching more than, more than anything.
0: Yeah. I mean the easiest adjustment to like people playing too wide of a range is to play a tighter range <laughs> and just,
1: yeah. But that's the nice thing about when these games get deep, you know, like especially in position you could just play like, I, th- I think the main adjustments I make from PLO to no limit is that like basically like position is more important and therefore like, you know, the, the, the you should play even tighter relatively in terms of your frequencies from early position and looser and late position. And then when you're deeper, it should kind of, like in No Limit, obviously when you're three in a big blinds deep, you're going to really tighten up your under the gun range and loosen up your button range. Like those adjustments will become even greater in PLO. So like you could definitely, I I think I probably play not double, but definitely between like one and a half and two times the amount of hands in PLO in like most lineups that I play in, you know? which makes it a little more fun. Obviously, like, sometimes you can't do that, but uh, when it's deep, you can usually get away with that type of stuff.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. Where did you guys, like, learn PLO? Is there anywhere specific, or is it just kind of from playing and discussing, discussing hands with each other?
0: Uh, just kind of, like, everything you would think of. But, I, I mean, I haven't put, like, a huge amount of study. I'll always up for, like, basically I always up for a reasonable 2-5 game over PLO. I'll normally yeah. just play PLO if it's like between a really great one two five PLO game or like one three or one two. But just i I've read some books, none of which I would really recommend, but they were still helpful. And videos like Run at Once videos, uh videos you can find on
1: YouTube, and then talking through your hands. Yeah.
2: Makes sense.
1: I got a decent amount of coaching from Don Ding, who uh is no longer a professional poker player, but he's kind of Isaiah on 2 plus 2 and, you know, had the very famous... Uh, what's the type of thread called? You know, I quit a six-figure job to play live poker. I think yeah. it's poker goals and challenges. And he, he's a really good coach. And, yeah, between that and some other books. But, honestly, man, like, it, it, it really wouldn't take that long. Uh, because I think a lot of it, especially, like, given the fact that you're if you do switch to it, you'll be playing primarily in Cleveland, a lot of it is, like... Just I think sitting there observing and like letting your poker intuition do its thing. Right. like like more more so than if you learned a different type of mixed game, you know, mm-hmm. where like just from being so experienced as a poker player, like just play like you know, when in doubt, just play too tight basically. Yeah. And just kind of watch the mistakes people are making and, and, you know, just start to get a sense of, like, okay, like, you, you have a great, like, sense, you could explain it, but you have a good sense right now of, like, the type of frequency mistakes people are making in terms of, like, where they're over-bluffing, where they're under-bluffing, what bet sizing tells mean. like, you'll develop that pretty quickly in PLO. And then, you know, once you kind of have your starting hand selection down and understand, like, what types of hands make, you know, for good limp calls or limp re-raises or opens, then... You know, you'll you'll definitely be a, a big winner in that game. And I also think PLO is just much less solved and there's more kind of close spots, especially pre-flop. So I think you can, you know, there's like the the range of like stuff good players do at PLO is much bigger.
2: Yeah, I noticed that a lot of different people play it much differently.
0: Yeah, I think since you're not like, especially in a, in a game like Cleveland where you're not playing very many hands, like heads up against like very good professionals, it makes more sense to sort of go straight to your sort of maximally exploitative strategies, which are, I think, maybe not harder, but like less reliable to like learn from a book than or a video than learning about, you know, fundamentally sound strategy. You know, because you're you're not probably gonna have an instructor or an author who's playing in your games and seeing the types of mistakes yeah. that are being made.
2: Yeah, for example, I don't, you guys know who that Jane Andes is, he's an upswing instructor. He does like PLO streaming. You can just tell that his strategy is very sound, but I'm not sure how much it would apply to like you know a live nine-handed game like in Cleveland, where there's just way more unique things happening.
0: Right, and and the whole point of it is that the point of even playing in the game is that you can do these simple things uh, once you you know learn what they are that will make up the vast majority of your win rate.
2: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: It's funny, like the. I play mostly in games now where no one knows anything about PLO. Uh, I mean, we don't play PLO, but it's just funny to hear like Hold'em players talk about PLO. I mean, I think I I sort of fit that bill too, but like I I know a lot more than someone who has never played or studied the game at all. Uh, And just like the sort of mystic nature of PLO to those people who have never played it and just see like, go into casinos and see these gambly-looking games and get freaked out. And
2: Yeah.
0: I just find it kind of hilarious.
2: I going to play in in the middle and talk about it like that, for sure.
0: Well, Brendan, I think we've taken up a good amount of your time. Uh, now you have to get returned to crushing soon.
1: Is there anything
0: <laughs> uh, you'd want to plug, your Twitter handle, any, you know anything that you want our listeners to be able to find you or... Maybe you'd prefer that they didn't find you.
2: Uh, no, it doesn't matter. Well, my Twitter handle is just BCM eleven. Um yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, you guys. I appreciate talking poker with you too.
0: Yeah, our pleasure. Yeah, it was it was really fun. Hopefully I'll see you back in Cleveland at some point. I don't know if you know what it looks like, so I probably won't tell you.
1: No, I've seen you wrong. Okay. Also like Skype, all all of our pictures are showing right now.
0: <laughs> I've changed a lot. <laughs> Uh, and I've gained, you about, that I've gained now, about 200 right? pounds. Thick beard. Yeah, thick beard, 200 pounds heavier, uh, gray hair, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. All
0: right, guys.
2: All right, well, thanks for having me on. You guys have a good rest of your day, all right?
0: Our pleasure. You too.
2: Yeah, thanks, Brendan.